0: My purpose in life is to leave my dent in the universe in absolutely everything I do, as well as to inspire and help others do the same. For someone to leave their dent in my life is a privilege. For me to leave my dent in someone else's life is an honor, but to inspire and help others leave their own dent in the universe is an indescribable feeling. I plan on doing this through this podcast by celebrating my guests and inspiring my listeners, all while leaving my own dent in the universe and helping others do the same. My name is Fer Andrade, and this is Denting. All right, looks like we're live. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode, another season of Denting feels really good to say that um i mean yeah season two haven't done this in a long time uh for everyone watching you probably already saw cam here in in the screen but for everyone listening i'm here with my guest a friend uh i mean i don't yeah not a teammate but uh cow mate we'll, we'll say cow cameron rogers how are you
1: i'm doing well how are you
0: good very excited to be here um thank
1: you for having me on again
0: thanks for being here i was telling you right now that i didn't want to talk too much before pressing play and we were starting to talk and i'm like shoot no let's uh let's click play first but very excited to be here Uh, season two I haven't recorded in a very long time currently recording uh, November 10th 2021 Uh, the last time I recorded uh, in this room was in May of 2021 so the previous 10 episodes were all from May one of them was in San Diego in July and now we're back Uh, so very excited for this and I'm excited and a bit nervous for several reasons number one the camera that I'm pointing at right now is new, and I've never used it, so... I mean, We'll see what happens. Amazing. It's sick. It's the exact same one as, as the one that's looking at you. Ooh, but different colors? Yeah, just...
1: Spicing it up yeah. in the studio? Yeah,
0: spicing it up a bit, you know? <laughs> Looks
1: good, works good, right?
0: That's that's what matters. That's what we're <laughs> going to hope for. Um, second, I haven't done this in a while, and third, I've switched a bit of the arrangements, but... I think that's the fun part. But the thing I'm most excited about, which is why I have you here, is that I think that while I learned a lot from the first 10 episodes, um, it was also a way of like trial and error for me to fix things. And at the same time, the first interview with anyone is always going to be well, getting to know them and studying them and things like that. But by now, I kind of know you. We haven't seen each other since the last time you were here, which was five months ago, which is a long time. And we don't really talk too much. But since we talked so much that one time, I feel like I know you.
1: Pretty much family.
0: So, pretty much family. <laughs> so this conversation is really not an interview. I mean, I'll ask you questions, but it's gonna be a dialogue. So I'm really, really excited about this.
1: I am too. Uh, It'll be a good, a good conversation. I feel like so much has happened since the last time that we talked. Yeah. And like, I think for both of us, and just having the, I don't know, the chance to catch up. I mean, that's so nice.
0: Yeah. No, I'm. I'm really, really excited. Let's dive into it. So for those that may not know, Cameron uh, is, well, it's the second time Cam has been here. Uh, We have Denting number four, uh, 004. You can check that out on both YouTube and Spotify. Um, And I always ask this question to start, which is like, do you want to introduce yourself for those that may not know you? And I'm really curious because since May and now... (laughs) Your intro may have changed, so... (laughs) If someone doesn't know you, how do you introduce yourself at this point?
1: Um, like, professional introduction?
0: How... However you... (laughs) Like, who is Cameron Rogers?
1: Um, okay. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Uh, I'm Cameron. I am currently in my fifth and final year of undergrad here at UC Berkeley, doubling in political economy and society and environment. Okay. And... NCA record holder yes two-time NCA champ i'm getting like ah saying it um I'm, I'm just
0: wondering oh i mean i was gonna mention it anyways oh but God. i'm wondering like
1: I've been, I've been told this is the this is the intro that i i think i need to start practicing okay <laughs> um and 2021 tokyo olympic finalists
0: olympic fight not not just an olympian an olympic finalist that's that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank we you. obviously talked about both NC2As and the Olympics the last time you were here. Mm-hmm. And to see some of the things you said even off record <laughs> about the NC2As like, yeah, I'm probably going to do it. It was like, whoa. When I saw that, I was like, holy crap. No way.
1: Hey, I mean, you can plan and prepare as much as you can, but it all comes down to the date, right? 100%. And I'm I'm happy that my coach and I were able to execute our plan in the way that we designed it and you know, thought about it for, for so long beforehand. So it was it was an amazing day, followed by an even more amazing, if that's possible, summer.
0: Yeah. Tell tell me a bit about that plan and, and how things work. We'll come back to how you can introduce yourself at some point. But <laughs> tell me a bit about that plan for both N C two A's and this and the Summer Olympics, or, or just in general, what do you plan out? What are your goals? How does that work?
1: I feel like Coach, his name's Mo, so I feel like Mo and I, at least, like at least a year in advance, talk about what we want to do for the following year, as I feel like anyone does, but when it came to, honestly, it's kind of funny thinking back, because Looking at the 2021 season, because of COVID, it felt like something we had planned for back in 2019 when we thought it was going to be the following year. And so to be able to stick so close to our original plan, I think we actually stuck to it perfectly. And being able to do everything we needed to in order to achieve the goals we had set in place um, that we had previously talked about. We looked at an outline, like a timeline, uh, when we wanted certain things to be done, what our priorities were for the year in terms of competition, when we wanted certain things to happen. Like All of that gets sort of talked about, discussed, again, at least a year in advance. In this case, it was two years (laughs) in advance. And... Yeah, that was that was the majority of the planning there with just him and I talking about what we each wanted to accomplish and how we could do that together.
0: Interesting. That's a that's an interesting relationship. Once again, shout out Coach Mo. Shout out Coach Mo. (laughs) We we said that last time and uh, I actually got to meet him. He was uh, working at the well, he was on the track while we were practicing on that field. Yeah, I was like, hey, you're Coach Mo. And he's like, oh, I, I remember your video. And I was like, yeah, that's me. So shout out Coach Mo. Shout I'll post this again Mo. and I'll tag him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I got to meet him and seemed very nice. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a 10-second conversation. But, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how you have that relationship. And how did that progress once you... I mean, I, I know what you, were, you, you once told me about how you were excited that he was about to come with you on, on the trip because that's not necessarily how it works he's not your national team coach but he's your personal coach as on a national stage mm-hmm. does he have his own goals as well like when you're you guys are headed to Tokyo cuz obviously nc NT- nc2a's he is the main coach he has the plan so obviously he has goals but does he have his own goals in in Tokyo and, and things like that i
1: think when it came to i mean no matter what like our goals are always going to be I mean, sure, we're going to know what they are. We're going to have them, again, planned out and sort of determined like, way before going in. But before Tokyo, I mean, even though there was that change between him being my NCAA coach and then him being my personal coach on a national team, the actual like, goals itself, I feel like, didn't change because it was something... It, it's such a huge competition. into the Olympics. Like yeah. There has to be complete and utter cohesion of thought and mentality going in and mindset. And so being able to discuss that coming out of NCAAs, how the lead up was going to look, how our travel was going to look, how training was going to look, how operating within the village and being surrounded by so many people, you know, how that was going to look. We talked about everything that we could in order to prepare as best as we could. Cause I feel like, and this goes for, the actual competition itself too. Nothing prepares you for the Olympics like going to the Olympics. Yeah. It's such a surreal experience, and having that, having been through that now, I completely understand why that is the way it is.
0: Okay, yeah, and on, on that thing for for planning, is there? How I mean, you already mentioned how far in advance you plan. Obviously, maybe not to detail, but but how may that work? Because something that I fa- find to be true for many people is that they can plan so far ahead that they feel like they're done. It's like it's a concept called uh, mental mm-hmm. crack for, that's mentioned in one of the books. And it's like the drug in your mind that like makes you feel pleasure just by mentioning all these plans. And it's like, wow, I already did them because you're telling them to someone else. But you haven't done anything. So... How do you find that balance of planning and getting to work? Because I know you put in the work, but how how do you how do you do that without falling uh, into that delusion that is the planning ahead and making yourself think that everything is done already?
1: That's so interesting. I I've, I've never heard of that concept before, um, but I think what allows Mo and I to work so well together is our ability to look at something and say it's not over until it's over. Okay. You know, it's not I guess the the idea that you're talking about where you think about something you plan it so much that you feel like it's already happened. I feel like him and I have this idea that there's always some sort of unfinished business yeah. and that there's always something more to work towards. It's always it's important to always have something that you are pushing towards that you are focusing on, which sounds very strange considering that's exactly what you said can lead to that, men- to that um, mental, mental crack. crack yeah. But I think if anything, it actually keeps us more in line mm. with what exactly our like timeline is. Because I think having, having something very tangible that you're working towards, for me, is very helpful because it means I have concrete like steps and um, like points along the way that yep. I'm trying to hit. And I don't know, I feel like it's just it's just a part of that process, I think with yeah, just feeling like there's always more there, feeling like there's always more to go.
0: So let's say you have that tangible goal. It could be a medal or a plane ticket to Tokyo or whatever it may be that's actually there that motivates you that's the big picture from the whole year but are you saying that you break down that same goal into small Mm -hmm. checkpoints along the way yeah and follow-up question on that i am a peer advisor in a class for it's a freshman seminar transition for student athletes and literally last night we were talking about smart goals Mm. do you use that in in any way or like do you just keep them specific i mean obviously smart for those that may not know specific measurable attainable relevant and time-based do you think about things that way or not not really
1: I definitely do I mean from how you described it for sure we like to keep things very very specific laid out in a certain way so that they are I don't know I think so that they're again as simplified as they can be okay I think the more difficult you make something the more you can tend to overthink it and then stress about it and it adds pressure and then you're like oh my god like there's so much that i have to do before this keeping things simple allows you to keep a clear mind Mm -hmm. in your approach to accomplishing whatever it is that you're trying to get done
0: exactly exactly there's there's two examples from that for for smart goals the the main reason they're used is because goals that aren't specific don't really get done a clear example of that is someone just saying i want to lose weight that doesn't really say much. I mean, you can lose a pound by tomorrow. You could change a few things and it may work. But if you say, I want to lose five pounds by the next month, that's being specific. It's obviously measurable and it's time-based. It's relevant to what you want to do and it's very attainable. So that's one example. And the next one, when you're talking about keeping things simple to have a clear mind, I was just talking about that with with my dad. There is a, a quote from Igor Stravinsky. That says something like uh, the more you limit yourself, uh, the better off you'll be, like the freer that you will be. And mm-hmm. the example that we were using is if we go, let's, let's say, let's call it shopping. Okay. If we're shopping or let's say you're, you're shopping, if you're shopping and you walk into a sneaker store and they have a hundred different sneakers, that's a very tough choice. True.
1: But I'm if, a very indecisive person <laughs> when well, it comes to clothing, so very true.
0: Exactly. So, but if you, if you only have ten options, then then it's a much easier process. And like you said, mm-hmm. you keep your mind clear, and it allows you to get to work. So that's that's something that's interesting, and that's why I was asking about how you work through that process. Because if not, it's like very hard to just focus on that one goal the entire year. Mm-hmm. I mean, for you. You go through this yearly, but for many people, having like the typical uh, New Year's Eve or New Year's resolution, it goes away after a while. Um, So that's why I was asking if how specific things were um, on that end.
1: Interesting. I think I think something you said does make does make a difference, too. I mean, like you said, it's a it's a year after year thing. It's a year after year. It's an annual commitment. Yeah, knowing that you're always building up towards something new and something, something different, something that you may have not experienced before. Even if you're going to the same meet, you're older. You have more experience. You're approaching it in a different way.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and that's the the beauty of it. The only constant is that change. And, and like you said, you've probably been to similar meets with the exact same people for a while now and it's always different and it and it's new and let's talk a bit about that how was the experience for a first timer in... have you ever competed in in asia for starters like no, not I've even in japan been. just asia okay never been
1: loved so, japan though want to go back like tomorrow yeah. like, it was such a great country such a great place the people were incredible like the experience as a whole was amazing i think the fact that Japan was able to take all of these new COVID regulations and implement them so efficiently and in such a tight time frame. Yeah. and have the entire like competition pretty much go off without a hitch. <laughs> like that's that's pretty incredible, you know, considering everything that was surrounding it, considering that last year, you know, again, it was only a year and a half ago that the Olympics were postponed, Yeah, that people didn't even know what they were going to happen. And so for Japan to turn around and say, no, we're going to do this and we're going to do it the right way. And we're going to do it in a way that keeps everyone safe while still protecting that spirit of competition that athletes have been yearning for, uh, building for, working for. I think that's pretty amazing All in itself.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it it was definitely incredible to see and something that even some people weren't sure was going to happen or work out. So it was nice to see that it did. Do you think it it made a difference? I mean, traveling was obviously, it worked out. It's Mm -hmm. been working out in the entire world, but did it make a difference without fans? Do you think like in, in the United States, for example, you see fans attending competitions all summer long and then in japan that wasn't possible how was that
1: you know what's interesting is that i have been asked about this before and my response has not changed in which it it was kind of i don't know it's hard to explain i'll give context so basically this whole past year being in the ncaa You know, right from the get-go, there were no fans allowed at anything. COVID COVID restrictions were so tight, especially within the Pac-12 Conference and here at Cal. And there were a lot of changes that needed to be made for people to be able to come back and train and live their lives and be student-athletes to as close of a degree as they could get compared to where we were pre-COVID. And so having that, competing without fans for so long, basically up until, oh my gosh, I I don't even know. We had fans at NCAA championships, but I don't even know if we had fans at Pac-12s, at Pac-12 conferences. I don't think we did in May. So having that experience, being used to that almost, meant that being in the stadium in Japan and competing in that environment, it didn't feel like a shock to me, which I, for one, actually really appreciated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think for some other competitors, it might've been a little bit weird depending Mm -hmm. on what country they were representing because, of course, some countries opened up earlier than others did. And so going from maybe having, you know, partial to, Anywhere between partial and full capacity to all of a sudden none, none, no one, might have been a little strange. But I think for anyone coming out of the NCAA, it was like, oh, okay.
0: (laughs) It was, was, in a way, do you think it was um, a bit of staying within the comfort zone? Like, for it to be your first Olympics, does it take a bit of pressure off, in a way?
1: I think, I think potentially. I think it could have gone either way. I... I love having people there to watch and be involved and be interested because, you know, I mean, just having people out to watch hammer throw in general when so few people know about the sport and its intricacies and, you know, know what they're what to look for between the different competitors and the throws themselves, you know, having fans in general is incredible and it does add that little bit of pressure, but it's that good pressure. It's that pressure that reminds you I'm here to compete and do a job.
0: Nice.
1: But also coming out of the NCAA season, not having anyone there it was kind of like a, ah, I'm used to this, I know what to expect. If anything, it was more of a, I felt prepared going in because there wasn't that huge shock. But again, having nothing the entire NCAA season until the NCAA championships, I felt comfortable regardless.
0: Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit more about the the whole experience. So... I have the Olympic Village, which was obviously distinct this year, but, I mean, that might be amazing, the, the Olympic Village culture, the food that you guys had in the cafeterias, the <laughs> beds that made news. <laughs> how, how does that work? What was your experience uh, within uh, the Olympic competition setting?
1: Oh, man. Okay. Is there one thing that you would like me to unpack first?
0: whatever you liked those.
1: most oh my gosh okay first i'm going to clarify something with the beds those mattresses were so comfy okay. <laughs> they were awesome and for for the record i was like i stood up on my bed and jumped on it and it was totally fine so they were very secure very stable and i'm pretty sure that they were designed years in advance so they were definitely not made to be covid anti-sex beds (laughs) yeah
0: i heard that as well from another cal olympian that it it wasn't necessarily for that case it was for a environmental uh
1: yeah they were made out of cardboard because that was a more sustainable option compared to um building thousands and thousands of bed frames and then either having to recycle them or throw them out. But even then recycling them, who knows how much of that does get recycled or can be recycled. So this was definitely the more sustainable option. And I think it was really cool to just be like, oh my bed's made of cardboard. Like <laughs> I've never I've never slept in a cardboard bed, but it was great. Yeah, those mattresses were so comfy.
0: That's nice. Oh yeah, I mean that that was obviously news all over the place <laughs> but it is It is nice to see that uh, it had a good impact and that they were yeah, comfy as well. they were well. very
1: comfy. The The beds and the desk.
0: And the desk, okay. Cardboard. So how big was the room or what space did you get?
1: Um. So there were two, I'm pretty sure, there were typically, I'm pretty sure, like two twin-sized beds per room. They might have been twin. Okay. Potentially, probably twin. Um, with enough room for a personal like desk just like yay high kind of maybe like mid thigh close to your hip size desk you know where they could like put a laptop into the drawer or something like that or like your documents and then a oh my gosh what are they called like where you like hang your clothes in and things like that put your suitcase into
0: just a small closet or something oh
1: my god Wow. Or like a dresser. A dresser, okay. So okay. like like an open dresser that you could hang things into. And, okay. Wow. Totally forgot that word for No worries. <laughs> but it... Yeah, so enough room for two times all of those
0: different Thanks. items.
1: Because there are two people per room.
0: Did you know your roommate like before?
1: I actually was... So I was in my own room until one of the... Multi's one of our multi's uh, athletes came and then Right when she got to the village actually one of our or two of our other athletes uh, shot putters They didn't qualify for the finals and how they were doing it was if you did not advance to your next like Basically to your next um, round Mm -hmm. Or if you didn't advance to the final, you had to leave within forty-eight hours.
0: That's ridiculous.
1: So actually, I will go through the entire like time frame of it. it I was, was, was going to say, take
0: me through the time frame, of how strict things were, and like COVID regulations within.
1: Yeah. Yes, we'll do. Um, but so they, so both of our putters, they um, competed in the qualifications and uh, didn't advance to the final. They ended up leaving, and then one of our multis athletes for Team Canada representing Canada. <laughs> um, she came in, but one of the shop putters had her own room within our like sort of apartment kind of area. It was like you walked into the door into the door and there were four rooms, two people per room with like two bathrooms and then a living room. And yeah, one of our shop putters had her own room and so when the our multis athlete came in, she like took the bedding from my room, moved into the other room, and I was like, hey, we both get single rooms. That's kind (laughs) of cool. So it kind of worked out that way as well. But the timeline of everything was pretty crazy. So Mo and I departed from San Francisco to fly to Japan on July 17th. And when we got there, it was like the second our flight touched down because we were on, of course, you're on a flight with like other just... Passengers so other passengers just general non like olympic related um, passengers Got off the plane. They were allowed to leave first. Okay, and then everybody who? was like an official or a volunteer or Things like that then they Mm -hmm. they got Mm -hmm. off after and then athletes coaches national team related members got off last and we were took through this entire process of like testing and verification. We would get our like badges that allowed us to get into our buildings and into the dining halls and the arenas, everything. Like that's your, your personal ID. It, it, there's an actual like part that you can scan, you know, so they know it's you. So it was all of that. Again, COVID testing. We ended up staying in the airport for 10 hours.
0: Whoa. (laughs) So did you have to get the results before you left or or why so long? Or is it just a whole process?
1: So we had to get two PCR tests within 72 hours before leaving. And then we had to get another test once we landed. And then but yeah, so that test once we landed, so we had to go through again, all that security, all that verification, checking all of our documents that we were allowed to be there because Japan was actually under a state of emergency. Yeah during the time of the games. And so they had to be very strict with who they let into the country. And so that was an entire process in and of itself. And then there was the actual COVID testing. Now here we're used to doing the nasal swabs. There it's all spit tests. Okay. There we were doing all of our spit tests. So I feel like now I have like a strange talent where I can produce a lot of unnecessary spit (laughs) like on command, (laughs) but it was it was uh those tests and then we had to wait for results and because they were trying to filter through so many so many athletes from different countries like we were getting we were in lineup with the u.s women's oh my gosh was it the volleyball team
0: i mean i'm (laughs) not gonna know (laughs)
1: But we were, we were in line with, like, another U.S. Um, women's Olympic team and who were not track and field. And so, you know, there were teams coming in all at different times together. And we came in as well with, like, a few other countries' track and field teams and things like that. And after that, our experience at the airport, so first it was, like, the Fermo and I was about a 10-hour flight from San Francisco. San Francisco to LAX, LAX to Japan, 10 hours, and then it was like another 10-ish hours in the airport. I think we got, yeah, probably something around that. I think we got in at like 3-ish. We left the airport at like 1-ish AM. So we got in at like 3-ish PM, left at like 1-ish, 2-ish in the morning. Yeah, 10 hours. And so after that, we had a six-hour bus ride to our training camp.
0: Wow, that is exhausting. That is long.
1: <laughs> that was the first 24 hours of the, of like the Olympic travel experience. And it's so crazy because while we were there, while we were waiting, you no, know, before we were able to get our tests, which weren't until like a couple hours into us being in the airport, like, we weren't allowed to eat, we weren't allowed to drink any water, we weren't allowed to, in, t- in case it would, like, contaminate our sample, our COVID samples, so... Wow. And then we had, we weren't able to get any food there, the airport was closed, right? State of emergency. Yeah. And unless you had snacks with you, you, there was no food there for, like, the rest of the time we were there, so we were just, like, very excited to start <laughs> getting towards, and, like, our training camp, and, like, uh, getting on the bus and everything, oh my gosh, like i think people were just travel like travel weary like sleep deprived it was like it was wild
0: yeah that's that's crazy i didn't know it was i mean that long of a process i figured it was going to be strict but maybe a bit quicker um the samples yeah i am familiar with that testing Mm -hmm. and it's interesting how many different types of tests there there are with COVID. but yeah that was way longer than i had expected What happened after that? You mentioned training camp. Um, Did Mo... So a few questions. Did Mo only coach you or did he coach somebody else? Did you guys travel with Team Canada or by yourselves, like, independently? And did you go to the training camp independently or with Team Canada? So all of those three. So
1: So Mo was only coaching me. He was there as my personal coach. We traveled there... On our own and then met up with the rest of Team Canada there. People were kind of coming in in waves depending on what days you were competing in the program. Okay. And then we did go to the training camp with the rest of Team Canada. The one the people who were there.
0: And that is that was July 17th, you said, right? Yeah,
1: so we left on July 17th with the time change and everything. We got there on July 18th?
0: okay i guess yeah
1: i guess <laughs> yeah just
0: that day later
1: <laughs> and uh with the travel and then with the time change yeah i think so there was that and then once we were through all the airport stuff and covid testing verification paperwork you know all of that then we left the we left the airport got on the buses and made our way down to our training camp, which was in Gifu, which is about six hours south of Tokyo.
0: South of Tokyo. How long were you at that training camp? A week. We a were week. there a
1: week. It's basically like a time for you to get used to the time change and the temperature. It was so warm. Okay. <laughs> it was so, so warm. Like, like crazy warm. Like, they were giving us ice vests to Whoa. wear while we were there. So, it was... I've never heard of that. So, I mean, you know Celsius. Yes so we would wake up in the morning and it would already be like 35 degrees whoa and it was like 98 percent humidity it was crazy
0: and this was how how early were you getting up
1: so i my first i would train at like around 8 30 in the morning so 8 30 and it's like 35 degrees by 10 a.m it'd be like 36 37. that's gross I remember the first day we finished training just because it was so weird. So while Mo and I were training here, still at Cal, Mm -hmm. usually it's really warm in July, right? (laughs) California summer. We went through like a weird little cold snap and it was like 16 degrees. Here, yeah. Celsius, Celsius, yeah, so I was like, Celsius, <laughs> Celsius, so I was training in like leggings and a hoodie, so I would sweat more and be warmer, so that I could try and get used to some sort of like warmer temperature, and then when we got there, it was just unreal, it was so warm, the first practice, I don't know, I think there is a picture of me somewhere, somewhere out there in the world, of like, lying down underneath a training table, And I'm just, like, sweating. I'm, like, drenched in sweat (laughs) because it was so warm that first day that they were very worried we would get, like, heat stroke.
0: That's dangerous, yeah. I mean, especially at that time, like, that early. um, uh, Yeah, that's crazy. I've never heard of Ice Fest, but it makes sense if it's that warm at that time with 90% humidity. Um, Did... I mean, obviously, I'm sure you guys were aware of it. That's why you were training under... Uh, well, with a hoodie and, and things like that. Um, in preparation, since you guys had this whole plan, what did your schedule look like during training camp right before competing?
1: So, so there was the normal training camp part, and then the other part of my day, which was... Interesting, so basically the training part itself would be like wake up get breakfast Go to the track to train around like there were two training times available for us, and it was between I want to say maybe like 8 and 11 in the morning.
0: Okay,
1: and then from like 4 to 8.
0: Did you use both times? I did. Okay.
1: Um, I think those. that's what, pretty much about the time. They yeah. wanted to miss like midday when it was super duper hot because yeah. that's also, that's not... Oh, the times were lined up with the competition schedule. Makes, Makes sense. sense. Yeah, <laughs> Makes sense. So, uh, and trying to avoid like that midday heat and they always have two sessions anyways uh, during the actual official Olympic schedule. They have yeah. a morning session and an evening session. And so... There would be those two times lunch in between dinner after and the other side was that i in between sessions was all, i was also doing homework
0: summer school i have it here <laughs> why
1: you know what okay so it's a class that i've been needing to take i thought taking it during the summer would be better it was online it was that i got a tutor to help me just stay on top of everything while I was away and it turned out to be one of my teammates shout out Lauren she's a homie
0: <laughs> Lauren yeah yeah I, Lauren Calcano, yeah I know her she amazing. is also a peer advisor
1: she's incredible love her so yeah so I was taking calculus while I was there <laughs> and you know what it was actually kind of great okay so basically I feel like during the year I've spent my entire athletic career also being in, you know, a student. So having that normal balance that I'm used to, it was kind of nice. Like I, I enjoy having other things to do and other things to like, just like focus on.
0: To, to distract like, yourself with?
1: Almost, but it provides like a balance to me. So I'm uh-huh. not, cause for me, like I would, if I wasn't doing that, I think I I think sometimes you can tend to overthink on especially things that are very important, (laughs) like competing in the Olympics. So for me, it was I appreciated having this class, especially taking a class that was so rigorous because it allowed me to do something else with my time so that I wasn't just like sitting and doing nothing in between training sessions, just like on my bed. But also just that it did provide that sort of like mental break that I I think I needed at that time.
0: I don't think I've ever heard anyone (laughs) say that calculus is a mental break. But I completely understand. I mean, people don't realize that, yes, athletes are very busy. That is a thing. But at the same time, you also have a lot of free time when, I mean, you're not labeled as a pro yet. But if you're an Olympian, you're at a pro level. (laughs) But pro athletes have a lot of free time on their hands. Like, you will train intensely. You could train, what do you want to call it, five, six, max eight hours a day, like, com- depending on what sport you're doing.
1: Depending on the sport and what else it includes with, like, rehab and things like
0: that. That, that I mean, you still have so many more hours in the day to just sit around or, or do whatever. So mm-hmm. I completely understand that and that balance. Um, and I'm sure it's, like... Well, like you said, it, it keeps you balanced, keeps you focused, and keeps you going. Mm-hmm. How was it once you got into the, um, well, the actual competition and into the Olympic Village? What changed, and especially with this, did you have like any tests or something that you had to tell your teacher, like, hey, I'm I'm actually competing <laughs> in the Olympics. Uh, I need to take it another day.
1: So thankfully, I got all my tests done. I did a midterm while I was there, and it was, I was like. Ooh, okay, Muhammad, I'm gonna need to take like the first hour out of training out today. I'm sorry. I got it, it was midterm. He was like, Hey, do what you need to do. Because <laughs> um, he totally understands, you know, like the way I think and why I was doing it and it was all good. Uh I think there was one homework assignment that I turned in late and I was like, <laughs> Professor No, it was um it was like a student
0: G S I Yeah, it was like
1: a it was a student who was teaching the class. Yeah. Like the like actually teaching the class and I was like Listen, I'm sorry. I just got off of, like, a nine-hour flight. I'm, like, dying from jet lag right now. This is when I got home. I was like, please have mercy. Just, I'm sorry I submitted this late, but please, like, here it is. Take it. And he was like, I get it. It's okay. Calm down. Like, we'll we'll get this settled. I was like, thank you. And then I, like, died and fell asleep for 12 hours. Wow. But (laughs) that was when I got back. But being there, so getting to the village, I mean... We got there at, like, it was pretty late. I think we got there at, like, 11 p.m.
0: uh, Six-hour bus ride. Yes, six-hour
1: bus ride back. And it was fun. Like, along the way, we would stop. We weren't allowed to... Actually, quickly, I should mention. So while we were at the training camp, we were not allowed to leave the hotel or the track. Okay. So the track... So, like, they were so strict with how... With us having as minimal of... Contact. Contact with the rest of the public. The track was right across the street. Like when I say across the street, I mean like... from one side of the hotel that we were staying at, if you looked out of one of the upper story windows, you could see right down into the track. Like it was right across the street. But we weren't allowed to walk there.
0: That's crazy.
1: So So they had us go on flights and would bus us like 10 minutes kind of like around the block to a different entrance because they didn't want us coming in contact with anybody if they were walking on the sidewalk or anything. And so, and that's how like, that's the level of strictness that they were operating at, which was good because it kept the public safe and it kept us safe.
0: I, I think it's also good for, for another reason. I mean, obviously for the state of emergency reason, 100% support it, but I think that if you're competing at an elite level, you have to work around elite rules, if that makes sense. Like you, you're not gonna half-ass the rules and then go on and put on an elite performance. You have to keep everything at a certain level. I, I mean, agree. I haven't been there, but I feel like that's how it works. You have to be in, in an environment that supports that. You know, if you're if you're that elite seed, you can't just be off in half-assed soil, right?
1: You are right. I, I like the analogy of seed and soil. No, you're totally right. You're in a professional setting. Act like a professional. Yeah. You have to adhere to professional standards as well. And so does everybody else so that was the experience we had there but actually getting into the into the village like we got in kind of late and then we immediately went got food and went back but like basically like we dropped our gear off took it upstairs had our minute of like whoa this place is so cool and then like had to immediately go get dinner and come back so basically by the time we got there to the time i was in bed it was probably like between 11 p.m and 12 30 a.m to 1 a.m it was a very quick like Entire thing because going to the village, there was another like verification process, you yeah. know,
0: makes sense <laughs> obviously. Yeah, I mean, if you mess something up within the village, that could affect many countries, many teams, and possibly the whole games, right?
1: Exactly, so that was great. And then, but like, walk into the dining hall, I feel like it kind of hit me a little bit. Like, that was one of the moments where it hit me and continued to hit me. Like, I don't know what it was, but the dining hall for me was that like whoa I'm here moment maybe it's just because I'm always hungry (laughs) I eat a lot of food but since there weren't as many activities as I've heard there have been in previous years where athletes can go and meet each other and like connect and talk you know like you're you're literally there with how many other countries and their athletes like you're going to want to make friends and talk to people and you know make those connections and everything because they didn't have as many of those as they did in previous years, COVID safety. The dining hall was really one of the best places where you could go and get that same experience of being surrounded by so many people. Yep. Like there's there's one moment where I'm just like huh like thinking about it now I'm still like whoa. So I was walking during lunch I was getting lunch one day and I was walking between tables you know going to find there were uh, some other teammates some other throws on team Canada and this guy walked past me and you know we're both holding our trays blah blah, blah. and I look and I'm like I'm like oh hey eh. keep walking and I look again and I like kind of turn around I'm like have a little smile on my face keep walking forward I sit down my teammates are like why do you have that look on your face? And I'm like, I just walked past Mondo Duplantis, the world record holder in pole vault, and I'm going (laughs) to cry. That's crazy. It's that moment of just like, I am literally surrounded by like the best of the best. Like that was the best to have ever been in his sport in history. And he's just walking past me with this tray of food. I'm like, this is incredible. You know, that moment of just, well, it, it really hit me, I think, being in the being in the dining hall for that specific reason.
0: I, I was going to say, I feel like the something like the dining hall makes sense. One, because of obviously the Olympic Village is known for all the friendships that could be made or, or just the activities, not even friendships, just the activities that are, are there and how there's not as much competition, but more just like, you know, hanging out. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like the dining hall especially could help you make that realization because it's seeing amazing people do normal things and when That's you realize way to
1: put it, yeah wh- when goosebumps. yeah
0: <laughs> literally you're you're seeing amazing people do normal things and it's like whoa i'm here and then it's to whoa i belong here like i made it here and it's it, it must be amazing i mean obviously it's not something i've experienced but how how did you react to that? Because you talk about this excitement, but did did you keep your cool? Did you keep your your professional, or did you just go on full out girl I had fan to. fangirl?
1: I had to. I'm such a fangirl, but Mo knows that, and he was like, "Hey, <laughs> I'm watching you. Like, if you if you try a fangirl before you compete." We're going to have a talk. And I was like, yes, sir.
0: So, so was that because of concentration and focus that he didn't want you to do that?
1: Concentration, focus, professionalism, again, okay. adhering to professional standards, keeping your professional cool. Um, and then in private, it'd be like, oh, my God, Mo, Mo, guess who said hi to me today? And he was like, oh, my God, Cameron. But for me, it's just so exciting because, you know, for me, I see these people competing on you know i see clips of them competing on instagram on twitter on youtube on any social media platform there is through world athletics through through anything for some athletes who were there too through the ncaa because there were ncaa athletes there besides myself and it's like this kind of like you're real (laughs) moment like you are here in the flesh we are in the same room Like this is wild, and like you said, it's that amazing people doing very normal things. I think that was part of it too. It's because it's you have this moment where it's like you're doing like things that I do (laughs) in a way. It's like we're I mean we're both living our lives. We're both here on for a purpose and for a reason. We're both eating and you know training and we're both doing our thing. That's why we're here. But it's also like this out of normal, I guess, context that you normally see that person in, you know, especially for like seeing Mondo. I was like, I normally see you like when you are in the zone vaulting. Like right now we're just eating. Just eating.
0: Hold that thought real quick. I'm going to reset the camera.
1: Okay. But
0: I know exactly what I'm going to respond.
1: Okay. (laughs) like this is bringing back like all the memories but, but that, not that they're gone but like it's I feel like i'm experiencing it all over again
0: there we go we're back after a brief tech uh <laughs> interruption but i
1: brief intermission brief intermission <laughs> yeah
0: but i 100 percent understand what you're saying i mean it's seeing like we said amazing people do normal things and just being able to relate to them. And I've seen it before with some people. I mean, I haven't interacted with them the way or at the level that you have. But for me, it's like when you see a pro athlete at a restaurant or just walking around town or something, and it's like, I'm only used to seeing you, your highlights on social media. Like I'm not used to seeing you like this. So it must be pretty amazing. But um, to your point of how uh, Coach Mo just helped you out well, not helped you out, but just told you like keep your cool, keep your professionalism. And there's a a quote that I actually love from basically my my first coach I've I've ever had in in soccer, Eddie Bon, Shout out to him. Shout out. <laughs> yeah, shout out to him. His his quote was "Act like if you've been there before," Ooh. and he used to tell us that when we were like kids. Um, but it, it was so true and. We would arrive at, at a hotel in a tournament, and the first thing he'd say is, act like you've been here before. And I think it's it's the same thing. I've never heard it from a focus standpoint. It was mostly to keep disciplinary rules when he would say that, but at such an elite level, I hadn't heard it with the focus sense. So, so that's cool. Let's get into the competition. Um, first question I have is, how did leading up to it work because obviously you have to train because you can't just go a week or two without training but you also can get tired or um or sore or, or how does that work how did you find that balance
1: i mean i think i think one of the best pieces of advice that i've heard time and time again because it's true <laughs> is that you know you get to a level like this for doing or because you've Practiced your discipline and doing the same thing and just doing it better every time So we had the same lead up going up to the Olympics as we've had with any other meet we've done you know this year two years ago same thing and That our with our approach being similar, you know how to prepare you know what to expect you know how your body's going to respond even with a 16-hour time change You know, I was lucky enough that we kind of reset our, I guess, internal clocks with our traveling and everything. We basically, like when we got to our training camp, we got there at six in the morning. Yeah. So it was basically just, I immediately went and had breakfast, did homework, did whatever I needed to do to stay awake until about midday, took like... 45 minute nap and then did more things, ate dinner went to sleep, reset the entire clock, still took a couple days to adjust but even with that, like my body was good ready to go the kind of training that we had up until then again, it's the same thing it's practicing and knowing what you're doing, perfecting it more and more every time, No, it's not trying new things and hoping they work that's not at that point you're shooting for luck and that's I think a very dangerous game to play
0: one day of training isn't gonna change anything or, or one bad day isn't gonna change anything but once you do it consistently over and over and over again I'm assuming you get to the point where where you are and it, it must be such a it must be like flipping a switch for you at this point because of how much and how often you you've done it I'm assuming
1: It's muscle memory. It's that, I don't know, it's that, I don't wanna say comfort, but it's just having, like knowing exactly what you're gonna be doing and the preparation and being able to tailor it to specific needs you have in, whether that be like your uh, pre-competition, you know, routine, uh, training, anything at that point. I feel like Mo and I could have dealt with any issues that arose. Thankfully, none did. <laughs> and our plan was executed the way that we planned
0: it. Yeah. I mean, that that's a great lesson for, for anyone to take away from this. Um, I think that it's its actually something I've been kind of experiencing recently um, with midterms specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I... So spelling bees were a big deal in my family when, when I was young Ooh. and not, not that it was a big deal in my family. It was just that one, it's a competition, so we're going to take it seriously and, and it's, it's my reference point to, to call it that way. But what you're saying really resonates with me because to me it was, let's say the list of words for that whatever grade it was in elementary came out a month before the competition. So I start looking over it the month before. And then three weeks, I'll I'll move on to the next set of words. Two weeks left, next set of words. And by the week before, like the weekend before, um, I was going all through it for multiple hours, testing, testing, testing. My parents would test me. If I got it wrong, I'd go back until I'd get it right. And I would always remember the night before, I would run through the whole thing until I didn't miss a single thing. And then the morning of in the car, we'd we'd, uh, drive to school early. We'd sit in the car Mm -hmm. and they would just test me and I would not miss a single thing. And they would just look at me, both my mom and my dad whoever it was, because they both helped me out with that. And they would just say, whatever happens at this point no longer matters because you already did the work. The result will come by itself. It no longer matters. Whatever happens from this point forward isn't your fault. You already gave your perfect effort. And now it's all in God's hands to say it that way. And in a way, I feel like that's what life is about as well. And I think that the beautiful part of this is that the process becomes the reward instead of the final result itself. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your, your competition because the way you're describing it is you were ready. It was all in a greater power's hands, to call it that way. How was that experience for you? Did you balance out enjoying it while being super focused and competing? Or, or how did that work out for you? It was two days. So let's go yes. through first day and then second day.
1: So day one is the qualification. And that... I think mo and i we over the course of the past season one of our big focuses was to in a way envision those envision the first three throws of any competition as being the qualification for the olympics got it so for context in a typical throws competition uh for whether it be like for all four of them, Hammer, put, Discus or Javelin if we're talking outside track and field or outdoors track and field. So you'll have three throws and then they'll take the top nine in the NCAA, eight in non NCAA competitions. Mm-hmm. And those other eight or nine people will get an additional three throws and that's your final. Uh, and that can be split up on t- into like two days or it can be on the same day. Mm-hmm. So the qualification is the first three throws. There were two flights of 16 throwers because they have 32 competing in a qualification. And with Mo and I having the purpose every single meet this year of being first three throws, think of it as a qualification, hit it big and then build on it that was like we had the exact same goal going in to this and so in a qualification meet for throws in the olympics or for worlds they i'm pretty sure still for worlds i'm pretty sure they still yeah they still split up onto two days i don't know why i why i thought they did it for a second but for these big competitions you have your okay so you go in and if you hit the auto qualification standard, which can be set at any distance. Usually it's high enough where not more than 12 people. Ooh, I might have messed up on my, um, summary of how the throwing events work, but at least for this, it's a little bit different for the Olympics, but basically they have an, an auto cue yeah. standard for like, set where if you hit it, you're automatically going to the final. No questions asked. You don't need to take any more throws. You're done.
0: Yeah, because it's only, like, the top percentile that's supposed to, to get there. Yeah. Which I believe you did in your first throw. I did. Yeah. I remember <laughs> so, watching.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so, here they did take uh, 12 to the final. And then the final was different. I'm sorry for the way I described it before. But the final in the Olympics was different. I'll give the I'll explain it in a moment. But so yeah, so here with Mo and I having that plan going in, it was basically get in there, hit the auto queue. On the first throw. And you did. Go and get it done. And so auto queue was 7350. I believe I hit 7397. Got it done. meters, <laughs> So We got it done, and that that was our goal, and honestly, thinking about it now, like, very happy, not for the obvious, like, besides the obvious reasons, happy that happened, because as the competition was going on that specific day, I don't know if this is the case every day, but that specific day, it got up to about 40, 41 degrees by 11 a.m. down on the track in the stadium. People were throwing on their ice vests. They were like digging into the bin that was holding like water bottles and things like that and like shoving it into towels to like putting on their heads. Like it was so warm. And so, and I was in the second flight too. So I was later in the program.
0: And
1: so being able to get it out there and then just be done was a relief, mostly because I didn't have to then try and deal with the effects of like the temperature and everything like that i could basically just go right away into the shade get ready get prepared you know mentally reset for the final so
0: that, that's what i love about sports though that it's a, literally a metaphor for life because once again like you never this, know what's
1: gonna happen you just have to be prepared
0: that that's one thing You but, but that's the exact point i'm actually trying to make is that you have to stay prepared in the sense that once you give your best effort and when you stay ready so that you don't have to get ready, then you don't have to worry about the uncontrollables. You were so focused on an entire year or two of thinking of by the first throw, I'm done. By the first throw, I'm done. By the first throw, I'm done. And you did it that you didn't have to worry about the uncontrollables that you only had to focus on what you had to do. And I'm sure that caused inner peace that wouldn't have been there if, if otherwise. And it shows that work pays off, that it, it was all that yeah basically that that work pays off and it's all for there as a result pretty much from from all the work so yeah. what happened after that first throw it got really hot you didn't have to compete <laughs> tell me about the time between that first throw and the final
1: so after that first throw i basically i walked out of the of the cage saw the distance was just like, oh my god, oh my god, okay, okay, we're good. <laughs> you know, like this, like, I'm going to the final, and then it was like i
0: I'm going to the final. I'm going to the final.
1: <laughs> like, I feel like same thought, but, com- like, two completely different, like, sets of emotions going with each one. The first one being like, oh my god, like, I did it. I'm going to the final. of Just, like, excitement and happiness with Mo and I being like, oh my god, yay. And then the second being him and I, like okay mm. sorry you're good you're good <laughs> and i mean like okay we're going to the final and we are going there to compete and so after that we immediately went into the shade first of all drank a ton of water and electrolytes and then did basically the same sort of like pre meet that we would normally do and having gone through it once before doing it again it was like okay here we go again it's the same thing we're going in with the exact same goal and that's uh, and you know and then that's just it and then you compete
0: i'm, I'm sure that's very important because I, like we've said multiple times now um it's it's something that we once again you can't control do you mind pressing the red button on top of the- so, maybe on? Here, the on button. If not, oh I can goodness. do it. But. Oh my
1: goodness. Oh my goodness.
0: Where's <sighs> on? On. And then the red one on and the then side. the
1: red one on the side. Once again. Once again. Perfect. Yay. Oh my
0: god. You're good, you're good. <laughs> Sorry once again we are back after a quick intermission we will fix this camera that's why i mentioned that it's the first time i'm using it but all good um but anyways that repetition is is important because then it makes you it it keeps you from it keeps you focused on the things that you can control instead of worried on the things that you can't so uh, i'm sure that went well tell me now about the final um just What you were feeling, obviously, you're competing against some of your idols that you've mentioned previously. Uh, You're ranked fifth in the world in the moment. You have four amazing athletes in front of you. Um, And I remember that I saw you walk out. You waved. You seemed excited. But then immediately, it was a smile. And then your straightforward, focused face came back on right after the camera was off of you. Uh, You looked focused maybe a tiny bit nervous and take me through what you were thinking after the first throw, which you, I believe it's called the cage, right? You threw it into the cage.
1: Yes. Caged it.
0: So you caged it. What were you thinking? How are you feeling? Were, were the nerves real now or, or what was it?
1: So it was a very, very interesting experience because as I, as I mentioned previously, like there's competing in qualifications and then there's competing in the final and oh. nothing compares you for competing in an olympic final like an olympic final unless you've already competed at like worlds or the earth you know work will basically have yeah. worlds yeah. <laughs> and I've... you've seen these people before you've gone through the process before and though i've had the honor of representing canada mm-hmm. on the international stage um a few times previously it was not to the level of the olympics and so getting in there I felt this sense of excitement and energy unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life. It was like, before this, it was like my body had unlocked like this new level. It was like a Mario power up or something and I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Cause I understood and I knew that this was like, this was it and you know, this was the moment. And so that first throw and really all six throws that I took in the final, the hammer was moving in ways that it's never moved before. And I mean, it basically was the case of like, I almost didn't know how to manage it. Okay. I guess like all of a sudden you feel this wave of nerves and pressure and excitement and it's so new. It feels familiar cause you felt it before, but it's to a completely different level. And all of a sudden I would like the actual, like the hammer, the ball was just moving and I ha- and it was like, whoa, <laughs> like, I have no clue what to do now. Like, like, I know what to do, but it's like, uh, it was just such a different feeling. And so the first throw going in the cage, I came out and Mo was like, okay, get that one out of the cage. But like, I'm not mad. <laughs> he was like, I'm not mad because dang, like, something's gonna, something's to like, Crazy, and so my second throw was my best throw of, yeah.
0: of the series. You were first place after your second throw.
1: I was. <laughs> yeah, first, and then moved to third, and then to fifth. Yes. Yes, so after that throw, 74, 36, 5, 5,
0: I don't remember six. the exact number.
1: I don't either. I feel like I should. I do not, though, but... I mean, regardless, uh, 74 mid or 74.3 mid Yeah. and I was like, okay, I connected better on that throw. And then every single throw, it was basically like, I would come out of the cage and Mo would just be like, go for it. Like, I think he, he actually, he and I both spoke on a throws conference a couple days ago, uh, organized by my mm-hmm. home province, British Columbia, um. By the federation and he it was either it was mo and then like somebody else i think mentioned it as well they made a very good point it's like you get to that level and you for like as a coach you're not doing a whole lot of like coaching coaching yeah you're basically there to be like if anything like Hey, this one thing, go, (laughs) Hey, that, but more go. (laughs) And so at that moment, he was basically just like, especially after the first three throws, once I knew I was in like the final of the final and had three more throws left. And he basically just said, go, just go for it. Like go, like we're here to do a job, be focused, be disciplined, do what you've been doing, but go. And so though none of my throws connected like that second throw did, it was also the first time that I feel like I've thrown in that, in, like, to that intensity and with that sort of energy before.
0: Don't worry, third one got me.
1: Third one got us, okay. So, yeah, the first time I had competed like that before. Completely new experience. And when the final had finished, oh yeah, and during it too, it's like, I'm... I am happy that up until that point, we had had the training and the mental preparations that I walked in and I was basically just like, okay, I am here. Some of the, like literally two of the best women's hammer throwers in history are competing with me right now. I'm here with them because I'm a competitor and not a, oh my gosh, this was a really great quote that someone said. You're there as a competitor, not as a tourist. Hmm. You are there to be present and equally as, like, active. You're not there, like, you don't go to the Olympics, you just go to the Olympics. Everybody goes there with a goal in mind. Everyone goes there for a reason. Yeah. And so, it was sort of this moment where I had to think, like, I am here for a reason. I gotta get my job done. Yeah. So going into that final, even though like I'm there competing against or with Anita Ladarchik, literally the world record holder and after this past Olympics, three time Olympic champion, yeah. Deanna Price, who's like the second woman after Anita ever to throw over eighty meters, world lead, you know, some of the best hammer throwers in history. It's still this moment of I'm here.
0: To compete. Yeah.
1: I'm competing against them for a reason, and I am here because I have a goal.
0: Literally, idols become rivals.
1: I love that. (laughs) That's actually... Like, it's
0: the literal definition of it.
1: Pretty much, yes. (laughs) That That is it. And so, going through that final... I should say, coming out of that final... A... I feel like my adrenaline was so high, I did not calm down for a good few hours afterwards. And I, I basically finished competing. I immediately went over to Mo in the stands and just gave him just the biggest hug. It was the hug of like, whoa, that just happened. Oh my God, we're done with the season. Like, I can't believe that. Well, we worked so hard to the point where it's like, this was our plan, but so this moment of just like, we're here together, this happened, we did this. And look at the entire season. You know, it was, I feel like it was a hug that expressed so much.
0: Yep.
1: And even though we didn't have fans, even though my family wasn't there, you know, they wanted to be so badly, my mom waited until the very last moment to, to get a, you know, like a refund on her flights and everything. And you know, do the ticket refunds to have him there with me was so special because it's like this person has seen me day in day out now for four years yeah he and I both know what we've put into this and this is what has come out of it and that's so amazing
0: it's so special it's so special and um, I mean, for, for those that want to hear more like on those details, go check out our previous podcast. But you've definitely mentioned how big of a role Coach Mo plays in your life and the way you, you talked about your mom right now as well. I saw that you guys did an interview for what was it? Well, you did an, an interview together and you talked about your guys's relationship and and how you've basically just had each other. The majority of, of your life, it's just been you two and and how special she is to you and how you are who you are because of her and, and how it's such a mutual relationship. So, I mean, for for you to talk about it that way is special. There's not much more to say. It's it's awesome to, to hear um, transitioning from from that. You you said that you were happy. Uh, I mean, it's obviously an amazing season. It's it's your first time you you make your Olympic debut, you're an Olympic finalist, you set the NCAA record a few months ago, then you broke your NCAA own record literally the throw after that, you went back-to-back champion. How how do you come off of that? Like how what what happens next for you? What's your mind going through? Do you get over that cloud nine? ever or or how does that work for you
1: it was very strange i think the first couple days after i mean because you know the (laughs) it was kind of funny actually because we had our final and then the very next day was the men's hammer final and i was just sitting there and it was kind of incredible to be to just watch them and be like I was there. Yeah, <laughs> I was there twenty four hours ago, but but basically just because we all had to leave within forty eight hours, it was a very very quick turnaround where it felt like that when so the day where I handed in that assignment late to my yeah. to my teacher and like had the intense jet lag that that was the very first day where I felt like I was able to stop and kind of catch my breath and that was like three days later. Wow. And so. We had the competition and went through everything after the interviews, the everything. And then immediately went back and, you know, celebrated with Mo. Like he, his past, he was able to, to come into the village. be like got our dinner <laughs> and we kind of had like a mini debrief. I think I, I had told him so many times before I was like, okay. Cause I like to live a very healthy lifestyle. Um, I don't have a specific diet or anything, but I do like to be very healthy in the way that I eat and like approach food and, uh, activity, everything. And I just remember looking him dead in the eyes and being like, I'm about to eat 80 croissants. (laughs) And that was, he was like, really? Like, that's your post-Olympics like thing? And I was like, you better believe 80 croissants and like three plates of fries. And he's like, you do you. And... It was just, like, this moment where he and I both got to sit down, and even though I did not eat three plates of fries and, like, 80 croissants, (laughs) it was just...
0: You enjoyed it.
1: We enjoyed it. It was, like, this... This moment of, like, catharsis of, like, this was what we've been building up to, and now that it's over, we can look back on it. And, of course, you know, looking back, there's you realize like there's things maybe we should have done this different. Maybe in the future we should change this. But in that moment, it was just him and I being happy and excited about the fact that we could do this together, that we could be there together, and that we had executed and achieved this goal and this plan together.
0: Yeah. And and what about when when you went back home? Because you told me that you went to vacation a bit back home how is that to like continue to debrief yourself and just l- not let go of the experience but let your body go through all those feelings
1: so so it's kind of funny so okay so there was the first day after the final watched the men's hammer final insane amazing loved every moment of it got to meet got to meet one of my hammer idols there uh koji murofushi who represented japan and is one of the best hammer throwers of all time he was so nice he's like wow incredible man um and the day and then that very night i feel like i was already like my i feel like my sleep was just there was just like no sleep like the yeah. first couple of days after i literally just could not sleep <laughs> and so i was like hey might as well pack now, <laughs> so that I'm not rushed in the morning. And so I packed and just I don't know. It was weird. I was like watching the sun rise through my um, like through my drapes in my room and just lying down, like watching some YouTube videos and trying to prepare myself for the next homework assignment. And I was like, this is so strange. <laughs> like it's weird to. It was weird to be like all of this just happened. But here's this moment of, like, peace and quiet and just a few minutes for me to, like, calm down and be ready for another nine hours of travel. But
0: <laughs> that, that thing that you're saying, there's a, a recent book I, I just read. is called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday, who's my favorite author. Ooh. And, and there's a specific chapter in the book that says meditate on the immensity. And it's basically talking about how, I mean, with with ego, there's three phases in life and you can transition between them, between aspiring, being successful, and being in failure. But he talks about when you're in success, which you clearly just achieved by being in the Olympics, you you. have to, I mean, it's it's obvious, (laughs) it's obvious, like everybody would want that, right, as an athlete, but... When when you reach success, you have to meditate on the immensity of things. So And it's connecting with things like nature or seeing the sunrise or, or the simplest things in life that make you realize like, whoa, this all just happened and it's all bigger than me and I can't let it get to the top of my head 24-7, but I have to recognize that it ha- that it happened and I have to be grateful for it. And it's nice to hear you express yourself that way because that's literally what what it's saying and in a way i'm assuming it helps you prevent your your ego from maybe growing or inflating because of it because it's pretty easy to think like i'm an olympian i I just made this right but
1: i think us i think mo and i having the chance to to talk afterwards and have that moment of like like we did have a, a few moments where you're basically just like Here's the things that went right. Here's the things that went wrong. Cause there were things that, you know, we wished might've been different or, you know, maybe we could have approached differently. And I think being able to have that balance of like, here's some really good things that happened. Here's where we can improve in the future. Cause there's always things to improve. And I don't know, I feel like that was kind of nice. It was nice to finish and be like, this is great. There's way more to
0: do, though. and It's
1: back to that sort of feeling of unfinished business.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm going to tie this into two things right okay. now. Um, and the first one I'll, I'll tie it into is the exact same book I just cited. It, there's another chapter called Draw Your Own Line, which basically says you have to set your own standards, which means that the external result doesn't matter. It's all about the ex- internal standards that you set for yourself. So maybe fifth place in general is not your ideal finish for you after being a champion. Obviously, the Olympics is a completely <laughs> different. I'm not saying in the Olympics, but I'm saying in general, um, you're used to winning in NCAAs all the time. So just by that, maybe you could say this went really well. This didn't go so well. But that doesn't matter at that point to you because you knew what you had to do. You reflected off of this went well. This didn't go well, and that's it. That that's what matters, and you're tracking your your own performance, and and I feel like that's the the most important thing to to do to draw your own line, and to tie it into the next thing, it's the same thing we mentioned last time, which is done next, right? From from that one author, uh, Tim Grover, and you like remind me of that mentality like so much, and it's something that. I think I have, but even right now like when you laughed, obviously I can't say anything about the Olympics because I haven't and I probably won't be there, you know, besides cheering on Cameron Rogers in Paris. But three
1: more years. Three
0: more years. <laughs> but I mean it's it's just something I can see from an outside point of view and it's special and I remember last time your the look in your eyes when you said um I just had to get the job done when you were competing at worlds, and even right now when you were talking about how excited you were, and then the shift in. But I have to do the job, and it's exactly what he was talking about in the in the book Relentless, and he just released his his new one in May called Winning, do you already which have is. It? Excuse me. You
1: already have it.
0: Oh, I already read it, but. <laughs>
1: Dang it, why am I going to get you for Christmas But you have it oh, as there? well. Wait, what? Yeah, it's for you. Are, are you serious?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. It's it's something that I really read, and I was like, so like, it reminded me so much of the conversation we had, and I figured, you know what? It'd be cool to gift it to you and to show appreciation that Thank way. Thank you
1: so much. Oh, my God, this means so much to me. I'm so... So excited to, I mean, to read the book, but also, I'm so excited to read it and understand at least the way that you read it as well yeah. and what you get from it, and then seeing how uh, it all just connects. Oh my gosh, this is incredible! Thank you so so
0: much. No, oh, thank you for for being here, and I mean, it's it's incredible to to see everything. Um, like I said. It's not something I can experience, but at least getting a, an Olympic perspective from, from you and from other Cal Olympians is really an awesome experience. I was, uh, at the time you were competing, I had just arrived in Berkeley again. I was, I usually get up really early um, and I was actually sleeping in a lot because I was, I had just gone through meniscus surgery at the time. And oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a whole other story. Whoa. we don't have time for that one, but I know
1: we barely even we haven't even talked about you. <laughs> no,
0: I mean it's we're not gonna get through it, but the point <laughs> is I had gone through surgery, I was sleeping a lot and I remember like the f- first time I woke up early again was for that four AM well your 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 final and I was like, Yep, it was super easy to get up and I was like, Yeah, watching and it's oh. that it's that excitement like for for people like you and Alicia also who came on Denting episode three. Um, it, it was just so special to see people I know and people that belong to the same athletic department be there. And it's, it's incredible. It's awesome. And to even be here and sit down with you guys and, and have these conversations is even better. So really, really appreciate, appreciate you and your time and your support. So oh. just a little, thank you. Oh,
1: that means so much. I mean, it- I'm so happy that I was or that you invited me to come back and talk about this experience and thank you for being I guess so open and willing to listen to to my stories and just what I have to share and for being so receptive and for allowing us to have a fantastic conversation. I feel like having the chance to reflect on everything I mean it it makes me all the more excited, you know for the future and Again, how much more there is to do but also how incredible and surreal of an experience it was to be there and to represent canada but also represent cal yeah. you know and and our school and and just all of that you know maple leaf on the outside bear on the inside yes <laughs> <laughs> but no i mean thank you so so much
0: no i mean i I already know I'll, I'll be inviting you again sometime soon. In my season mind, three. in, in <laughs> my mind, I was like, yeah, by the time she finishes season, um, which is probably in June because you're going back to back to back.
1: Ooh.
0: Hopefully. <laughs> I know you're thinking of it. But, but anyways, I mean, I was like, yeah, I'll invite her. But even right now, um, I mean, my camera is no longer up and our time is actually running out missing a few sections, but it's pretty much everything I wanted to cover. Um, any burning
1: questions that are maybe random or other things you wanted to to, to discuss before we left off?
0: Um, honestly, no. I, I like the way it concluded naturally, so I'm not going to force anything, and we'll leave it on okay. to, to next time. Um, and it's honestly a great way to, for me to kick back, kick off the, this season and getting back into rhythm of things and even if maybe my technical or technological side didn't go as planned. It's, it's a great way for me to get started and fabulous story. I really, really enjoyed this. Um, it. Yeah, it's just me in, in and what, doing what I enjoy and for me to be able to talk to you is even better. So on the contrary, thanks for accepting the, the invitation. Thanks for, for your time and I look forward to doing this again. I
1: look forward to it as well. Thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you, and, and thank you to everyone that either watched on YouTube or listened on Spotify. Shout out to Tim Grover for his amazing book winning. Um, not sponsored at all, but <laughs> shout out to him. I I really admire him. Really admire his work. Hopefully, he'll come on sometime soon. There um, we go. That'd be yes, cool.
1: That'd be amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. We'll see, um, but. Thanks to everyone that watched or listened on YouTube and Spotify. And if you're on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're on Spotify, make sure to follow my podcast. And yeah, that's it for today. Thank you so much, Cameron. Thank you. I'll see everyone next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to my podcast and follow me on my personal social media accounts for more. All at FerAndraes all links are in the description. If this episode inspired you in any way, please help me out by sharing it with a friend to help them leave their dent in the universe as well. That's it for today. I'll see you all next time.